So we're talking to AFC Baggy. It is Do You Remember the Year? The year is 1982. And um, uh, hello, Baggy. How are you doing? Hi, mate. Fine. 1982 was a... Must have been looking back on it, it was actually a big year for me. I turned oh. 21, mm-hmm. and um, the band I was in released our first demo tape, and we uh, toured with the Jam on their final tour. You toured with the Jam. Toured with the Jam, mate. I've actually officially I played at uh, the Manchester Apollo, uh, Leicester, the Montford Hall, uh, Birmingham NEC, and uh, and Wembley Arena. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, that that must that must be you know uh, a mass, massive massive thrill. Uh, but just just talk us through who were the band, um, you know how did they form and, and how did you get to support the jam? Right, well, when I was in a band called Apocalypse, um, they were um, uh, they they formed when I was at school. Um, well, when I was just leaving school, uh, it was three kids who were three years below me, um, and I couldn't stand them. Because um, they were like, there was a guy called Tony Fletcher, who started a fanzine up called Jamming, right. um, and was, was doing very, very well with it. Uh, and a lad called um, Jeff, who was normal, then became a punk, had a big Mohican at school, and a soul boy called Chris. Um, they sort of formed a band, they, they sort of like a punk band, and uh, I met Tony in a pub, and we were just chatting, and um, I mentioned I played trumpet when I was in the Boys Brigade. And he said, oh, come down and play with us. Um, now, the, the fact that I was actually not very good at trumpet, don't put Billy C. to bother him. <laughs> and uh, that was in like 1981, end of 1981. 1982, um, we managed to wangle some uh, some studio time off of uh, Polydor. Because Tony had actually become a big friend of Paul Weller's. And we, we, we recorded a demo tape there, four songs. Um, well, I took on holiday, really liked one of them. Uh, produced our, um, said, come with me. Produced my, and he produced our single at the Solid Bond Studios, which was uh, Marble Arch, produced a single. And he said, oh, come on tour with us. So we did the last jam tour. Wow. And so how, how, like, how, did Tony get, <laughs> how, how did Tony get to know Paul Weller? Cause he, was it, cause well, he, he did it for, he interviewed him. Oh. And uh, he, got to, he got to like him. And uh, well, I liked him. Well, I liked Tony. And... Um, he, uh, he actually ended up funding, um, sort of helping fund Jamming Records, uh, which was which formed, um, and we sort of released our single on it, um, as well as other singles that we called at the time. He helped fund that. And um, yeah, that, that, it basically it revolved around Tony's friendship with Weller. Uh, and I suppose we were lucky, but we, we didn't really want to release our single on our own label. We were, we were trying to sort of sell it to other people, but it wasn't happening. So, oh. well, I said, I'll oh, release it on your own. You might as well. Yeah. And the, you, you just, as a band, you just did the one single, did you? We actually, well, what it was, we actually released, it was called Teddy. Yeah. Um, and we uh, released it uh, in uh, 1982. Um, and it was a B, we called it a B-side as well, which is called Release, um, which was a bit more jammy. Um, Teddy was a bit sort of solely and uh, poppy, uh, and then we went. We um, decided to release a 12-inch of it, and we did. We actually went somewhere else and recorded. We got a guy called Dale Griffin. Does that name ring a bell with you? He was oh. in Mott the Hoople. Oh my God! Yeah, and every, yes. every John Peel session was recorded by Dale. Yes, indeed. Griffin. Well, he he produced it for us. Went down to his studio, produced a very different version of it, 
and uh, release and we actually recorded uh, an extra track called Home of the Brave which was a Phil Spector song uh, by Bonnie and the Treasures mm. <coughs> and we um, we released that as a 12 inch and then we went on tour with the jam we managed to get somehow but listen Tony used to do all the, all the wrangling they're still doing it now he's actually an author in uh, he's a, a novelist in um, America um, writes a lot of biographies for people did REM Keith Moon and that sort of stuff uh-huh. um, he managed to wangle it and we actually got a spot on a ch- Channel 4 TV show called Whatever You Want oh yes of course it was Keith Allen wasn't it yeah Keith Allen was, was involved in it yeah and um, they um, they came with us on tour and filmed us on tour with the jam probably the fact that we were on tour with the jam probably helped <laughs> um, we ended up at the start of eighty, the start of uh, eighty-three on telly, um, and ended up getting signed by EMI. Uh, recorded two singers for EMI, but I think we were just a tax loss. And uh, by which time I'd left the band. So there you go. Oh, what were the singles you did for EMI then? Uh, EMI released a single called People, which was they wanted they wanted us to be like a sort of a soul band, really, like um, Casuals. They yeah. dressed us all in these jumpers and stuff they, and the farm were doing a little were reasonably well around that time they wanted us to be something like them uh-huh, um, so it was uh, released people uh, with a song called going up in the world which was probably more jam than the jam And then I actually left the band because I, I realised I wasn't good enough. Uh, I know it sounds very self-deprecating, but I wasn't. I was rubbish. Um, <laughs> I only played riffs, to be quite honest. Um, and I didn't really have... But they sent me for trumpet lessons and I weren't enjoying it. Actually, my, my trumpet teacher was the man, was called, I think he's called Ted Emmett, and he played trumpet on Reward. Ted uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, and I was left by then. They recorded another single called um, um, Hello Mr. Goodbye, but nothing was done of it. And see you later. And the band split up after that. But we're all still good friends. We actually had a uh, reunion, I think, 2014, something like that, down in London. They're good, and I'm still rubbish. <laughs> so <laughs> so, tell, so tell us about, about the tour. I mean, you, you've basically gone from being, what, uh, re- rehearsing in the local youth club to knowing Paul Weller to getting a deal. And then, how many gigs have you done before you went on tour with the Jam? Oh, like the, the, the band themselves have done quite a good few. Um, but we, I think probably as a five-piece, which we were then, because there was a, uh, besides uh, Tony Fletcher, uh, Jeff Carrigan, Chris Boyle, who were the three, think, three main members. Uh, like, Tony Page joined just before I did uh, in 81. And um, I think probably we did about, I'd say about 30 to 40 gigs in, in all. Um, with that, but I think before the jam tour, we've probably done as a five piece, I'd say about 15, 20, something like that. Okay, so we, we I mean, what, what was the biggest you played? Like pubs on the London circuit, that kind of thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we played, um, let's see, probably the biggest one we played was, um, blimey, Clarendon, I think. Okay. That was about that. That was a support, I think, something like that. Yeah, we did. It wasn't massive, and then suddenly you go to, like one of our, I think our first one was um, 
Is it Leicester? It might be Leicester. I think the Montford Hall. You're like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I stood at the back. I wasn't too bad. I was, I was okay. I played a bit of keyboards as well. <laughs> Only one finger, one finger keyboards, mate. Can't beat it. So, so what? What was it like? The rush of supporting the jam? We, I mean, oh, what... well, whatever you expected to be. It's ten times that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, sometimes you get a good one, sometimes you don't, you know. <laughs> sometimes you quite right there, yeah. Well, well, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've seen, like, um, Sleaford Mods absolutely bottled off supporting the specials. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, no, no. And so, I mean, you're, you're on there. How long did you do, like, 30 minutes and then off kind of thing? Yeah, 30 minutes and yeah, straight off, yeah. The only time we did do 30 minutes was their last gig in Brighton. Mm-hmm. Um where we were asked to do 20 minutes because there was an extra special group coming on who we thought that'd be good. No, it weren't. It was like Gary Crowley, a load of like um, <coughs> celebrities, and I use the word celebrities very, very loosely, um, just coming along and dancing and singing to some songs. And it wasn't funny. They thought it was at the time, I think. But uh, it only gave us like 20 minutes to uh, thing. Funny enough, I read an, an article um, yesterday by someone who uh, was reviewing the last jams, the jams last gig, and he, he mentioned us and he said that we were we were okay, we were pretty poor really. So the, the biggest cheer they got was when the guitarist started playing the start, the uh, intro to start. Just for a joke, we did that just to like wind the crowd up. Which probably wasn't a good move, was it really? No, it's, it's kind of like <laughs> hands off that one, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it was funny that day because Weller actually got threatened outside because he'd had his hair cut, he had his hair sort of shaved like a suede head. Yeah. And um, there was a lo- there was a load of skinheads about at the time, and mods were obviously um, very wary of him. And uh, he was going past his mods, and his mods were, oh, it was a skinhead, let's get him. And then he suddenly realised it was Weller. Um, okay. 
was in a great shot, punched in really. Yeah, and uh, and did did you sort of uh, did you enjoy it being with the jam, or was it uh, did it go by in a rush and you thought, oh crikey? I wish I'd been, wish I'd kept awake more, if you know what I mean. I wish I'd been more aware of it. I think at the time we were still thinking we were going to do something, and I think we we probably could have. I mean, if, we've actually got a CD um, which is you can get on Amazon, um, which because Cherry Red released like a compilation of some of our songs. Oh, wow. um, and I listened to it and I think they're not bad days but might maybe not right, exactly right for that time mm, yeah I know I know what you mean things things are always you can't force a fashion you know what I mean you can't yeah and there's, there was a lot of bands after that who were sort of like uh, keyboard soul and it didn't work you know no no not at all have you ever been in a band Rory? Oh, I, I'm hopeless. I'm, I, I played it, I played, played the punk band for three gigs, and it's just like, no, I am not good at this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, when you, you you just realise that somebody else, glorious tunes flow out of the fingers, and you sound like a caveman. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but I mean, I'm a bit like that with trumpet. I must admit, I used to, I, I used to panic on stage. Like you'd play a song, like say before, like the jam tour. We went into uh, we went we got Noma Studios, I think it was called, because um, Tony had a, Tony Fletcher had a um, an office there, so we managed to get the rehearsal studios, and we were there for two days just playing the same song, solid, and you knew everything, note perfect, when you're going to play, what you're going to play. First gig, we went on stage. I started thinking about why I had to play instead of just letting it come naturally, and you start panicking. You start thinking, what note is it? Is it a B? Is it a C? Is it what? Is it this? Is it that? Yeah, and, and then suddenly you hit it, and you think oh, I've got it. But then the next year you make the same mistake again. Sometimes like the wrong note. <laughs> Thankfully not on a jam tour. I remember doing the Clarendon. <laughs> yeah, especially during the solo bit. But uh, there you go. Um, so what was what was it like for you lads touring around the country? Because I'd imagine, you know, you're all from South London. In those days, this sounds like ancient history. Apart from an away match at the football. People didn't travel much, or you you went to Benidorm for two weeks. Really. Yeah, bit of, place, bit of places I've never ever been, like uh, Birmingham. Um, <laughs> no, it was uh, well. The thing was, basically, I drove around a car, and uh, we had a van, and that was it. Um, so we'd um, we'd finish the gig, um, watch the jam again, which obviously is is, is a privilege, really, if you think about it. Like a chair on their last tour, you think, yeah, goodness. I mean, they, they, they didn't really um, associate with them, sit with each other backstage. Um, I think there was a bit of tension there, unsurprisingly. Um, but like, well, they used to hang about with us and uh, used to come in our dressing room. We used to have a dressing room. We never had a dressing room before. Mommy, <laughs> we were like celebrities. Um, and uh, then we'd go from there, go back to the B&B. We put, I was in charge of booking the B&Bs. Um, we got paid £100 a night. And that had a paper, a B&B and a petrol. And I think we came out of it with five pound each at the end of the end of the tour. <laughs> and I, <laughs> but no, so I go back to the B&B, get up in the morning, try it to the next gig. Um, I must admit, the worst gig was in uh, South Wales. They hated us. Is that Port Talbot somewhere around there? Port Talbot, mate. Yeah, you cry right. They hated us. They were trying to break into our dressing room. Um, <laughs> Partly because um, during one of our choruses, um, and a guitar, the uh, lead singer, or oh, lead singer guitarist, started making sheet noises down the mic. 
<laughs> they, they weren't impressed. So I was at the back of the no! <laughs> <laughs> so we had to like all dive in the back of the van and reverse out very quickly. Okay. Um, so what was Paul Weller like in those days? Because I mean, obviously I was a fan of the jam and it was like, you just, you just thought, oh, this guy's a genius. But he, he seemed he seemed very quiet. Was he, 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 he was very quiet. He was drinking then. Um, so he used to drink, he, he drank a lot. He, he, the thing is, I think it's, he used to spend a lot of time, he's, he's very serious, very serious man. Um, but very knowledgeable. And he's, he's, he's just a good bloke as far as I'm concerned. You know, he was never... Never critical. I was always offering advice. So maybe try this and maybe do that. Never yeah. slagged us off. And he, he didn't used to slag people off. If he did, he'd give you a reason why he did it. Yeah. There was no reason, you know, no reason or for anything as to why he um, he would do. It. I mean, I remember um, a few years later, uh, I told him. Um, well, we saw him at um, uh, a place near Buckingham Park. I forgot what it was now, but there was a gig, a gig that was at the IPA, ICA, something like that. And uh, I saw him now, and we were chatting. And uh, it, I said, Tom, I was getting married and going to have kids. But no, you won't get me doing that. I'm thinking, hang on a second. And I look at him now, I think, he's been married twice. He's got eight kids. That's when he took his own advice. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's... that's... <laughs> Everybody says that until they get married and have kids. <laughs> yeah, I've never grown and grow up. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm not going to be. What are you doing that for? But no, he was, he was, he was, he was a good... But when we did the single... Um, he, he produced our first single it was called Teddy um, we had a, a middle eight that, that was a bit trite um, I think everyone sort of thought that but we not anything else and he wrote a special bit for it and for me it was brilliant because it was a trumpet bit so he, he actually sort of it's a, a, a lovely picture of me at a piano uh, sorry him at the piano me standing next to him playing trumpet Yeah. and uh, it's on my wall <laughs> at home it's, uh, it's just it's such a great memory even even down to the uh, the blue and white striped trousers I was wearing, I've no idea why. Yeah, well, we all make fashion mistakes when we're younger. <laughs> and then, then you stop bothering about fashion once <laughs> kids come along. Normally, normally when you get married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. 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 So, um, so I'd, I mean. I remember Paul Weller being interviewed on the telly and, uh, you know, they're saying, why are you splitting the jam up? And he's sort of like, yeah, it's time to move on, you know, I want to do new things. I mean, were they actually sort of falling out backstage? Did he not like the other guys anymore or was, was that it? No, no, not so much that. No, I think it, he just wanted to move on because there, there was stuff, the stuff he was doing, like when he was doing his demos, he was playing drums, he was playing bass. And uh, I don't think um, he thought that... Um, Rick and Bruce could do it. Um, and I, I, I'm with, on their case, I mean, I've read Rick Buckler's autobiography and to him, I mean, he admits in it, I think, if you read between the lines, he admits that he was angry because that was his pension going. Different names. Hey, 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 hey
close roast was he going to do? I mean, Weller was the jam. Um, and he wanted to move on. I mean, you look at some of the latest stuff they did. You know, like, I mean, Beat Surrender was their last song, and that was like number one that year, and I think Christmas or something like that. And um, that's uh, that sort of like led into the Soul Council. And I, I don't think that the others wanted to do that. They wanted to carry on doing like jammy stuff. Yeah. And I don't think he could do that. That was his reason. I mean, it was at least he was honest about his reason. His reason was that he wanted to move on to other stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of jam fans didn't like that idea either. Well, I, um, I wouldn't have minded it if you know if I'd have if I'd have liked it all, but I thought the Style Council were kind yeah. of a, sing, a singles band, you know. That's oh no, no, some of their album tracks. If you actually listen to it now, I, 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 I actually sort of listen, listen to them. Oh, I was a big Jam fan. I'm a big Weller fan, and I've always thought Style Council, yeah, a bit sort of poppyish. But if you actually listen to them, it's it's quality stuff for the time as well. For the time as well as at the uh, as well as now. I think if you listen to it now, it's it's brilliant. Uh, I, I must, I've got, I must, I've probably felt the same as you. Mm. Felt the same as you at the time. But if you listen to it now, give it another listen and have a go. But the same old wealth and the same old hands and the same old people stay in command What's your money go around? What's your money go around? They got it wrapped up tight, they got it safe and sound What's your money go around? What's your money go around? Spot from grace and hit the ground Yeah, well, I, I thought the 12-inch version of, um, what's it, Money Go Around was great. Uh, yeah. That reminded me of Precious, you know, so I, I was quite quite happy with that but on Cafe Blue and he's trying to be a rapper and then a jazz man and then a soul man it was kind of like you're, you're trying to do too much you know just stick to one yeah, thing um, yeah but the thing is our favourite shop's my favourite oh, um, yeah. style council album um, <clears throat> and I think see he started getting into politics more as well didn't he yeah and I, I don't think Bruce and Rick were that way inclined no no they're, they're, I must admit yeah. uh, I, I, I do think he was right um, maybe he's and at least he warned people. He didn't just like do the tour and go, oh, we're finished now. He yeah. said, right. Yeah. And in a way, I think he made sure that they had a, like a um, a payday. And that's... Because if you think about it, I mean, they formed, at one stage, they were both in from the jam. Yeah. And making their money that way. With, uh, I think it's Russ Hastings, isn't it, or something like that. Um, and, and Bruce Fox is still doing from the jam. So in a way, he's still trading off it. Well, yeah, he went on to being stiff little fingers for quite a few years. He did indeed. Yes, a few times with them, thought they were really good. I don't know why he's stiff with stiff little fingers, but there's Ali McMordy gone back there. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of stiff little fingers. Yeah, Ali McMordy's a bassist. He's even better. You know, it's his stuff. It's his stuff. You know, he plays kind of like dubby reggae stuff, but punky stuff as well. So, yeah. So, I mean, that that was the time with the jam and. The, the band split. What did you do then? <laughs> what did I do? Yeah. Uh, when, when the band split in '83, I just like went off, just, just basically, and uh, didn't do anything. To be honest with you, I mean, I've always loved writing and that sort of stuff. Um, I was doing like poetry, but I, I basically went off, got married, had kids. Uh, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, and ended up moving up north uh, in 1990. Okay, okay. 
and then sort of found comedy at some stage. Well, comedy, <laughs> I'm not too sure. I was doing like, I was a karaoke presenter for a good while, and then a quiz master, yeah. um, as you well know. And uh, um, yeah, ended up, I actually ended up uh, managing and writing songs for my stepdaughter's band. Oh, I see. Uh, at one place. Okay. And then, um, yeah, and now nothing. Just I've actually, funny enough, I've actually written a book, a novel, which should be coming out next year. Hopefully, I've got um, a publisher, but he's the bloke who runs the thing is a um, an infections nurse, so he's slightly busy at the moment in this uh, crisis time. Oh, um, but he's he's got the book, so he's going to publish it maybe later this year, early next year. Scold, I'm with a band answer, and it's sort of based on when I was in the band. Part of it's the story. I mean, I would say a third of it's the band, a third of it's my relationship with my parents, and a third of it's uh, a relationship with a girl. A uh, relationship with a girl is completely made up. Um, the, the, the lad in the, in the book is actually quite a good-looking bloke who's really cool, which is, <laughs> those who knew me when I was that age know it's not me. Um, some of the band stuff's true, and some of the parents stuff's true. But it's, it's, it's a novel based on it. It's like say, they say your first novel is pretty true, don't they, I think? Well, everybody's got everybody's got one book in them. <laughs> yeah, if it was true, doesn't then uh, there must be an awful lot of serial killers out there who <laughs> no one knows who they are. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, radio. So going back to 1982, you you're in the band, and um, I was at school, and uh, woke up one morning to find out that um, Argentina had invaded an island, which I thought was uh, somewhere in the Outer Hebrides. The conflict began on the 2nd of April when Argentine forces invaded the Falkland Islands. In the UK, a political crisis followed. Ministers resigned because of Britain's apparent lack of preparation. But Mrs Thatcher responded quickly. Within days, she had dispatched two aircraft carriers, dozens of warships and thousands of troops. In the knowledge that these pictures would be broadcast in Argentina, Harrier jump jets and Sea King helicopters were left on the deck of HMS Hermes when they would normally be stored below. As the British ships began their 8,000-mile journey, Argentina swore in their own governor of the Falklands. The Royal Marines based on the islands were too small in number to put up any real resistance, and many were captured. I've never heard of it. <laughs> I hadn't either. Has anyone, anyone seriously heard of the Falklands? Um, they they? No. <laughs> to me, it's the, to me, the Falklands uh, um, at the time, Margaret Thatcher was like not popular. Well, there were like, three, three million on the dollars and stuff. Yeah, were like really unpopular. So she was. Everyone was up feeling the pinch. She wasn't doing good. And then suddenly, this came along. Personally, I think she saw it. Thought, all right, let's do something with this. Let's, let's send the troops out. Let's make it sort of a, a national, a big national thing, and the fact that we won raised her, raised her profile. I think. Do you I, think that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were pe- there were, there was like f- three million ish on the dole officially, and they changed the way of counting the figures. There was more like four million. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah. which was the the worst since the nineteen thirties. She was unbelievably unpopular. I think the, the Tory party were considering giving her the stab in the back. Uh, yeah. And um, do you remember of, oh, John Knott resigning? You know, the Defence Secretary resigned live on telly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I, I, I like, he was all right, John Knott. 
Finally, Mr. Knott, who's going to leave politics at the election, snapped. My task is to maintain a balance between all three services and most expert opinion, uh, setting aside those who want to drive divisions between the services, uh, is of the opinion that we've probably got the balance about right. But why should the public on this issue, as regards the future of the Royal Navy, believe you, a transient, uh, here today, and if I may say so, gone tomorrow, politician, rather very... than a senior officer of many years? I'm, I'm, I'm fed up with this interview, really. It's a ridiculous ruling. Well, thank you, Mr. Knott. Well, there actually... mustn't take over, then. Did uh, Cecil Parkinson get something to do with it at some stage? Nah, it's probably shagging the secretary, I'd have thought. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I'd let you into that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I would have been waving out the window at some stage. Yeah, but he was, he was uh, you know, uh, Cecil Parkinson, you know, in those days a, poli a politician did did something wrong and then resigned. Good Lord. Who'd have thought it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, so I can't believe it. The Falklands actually lasted for three months. I don't remember it lasting that long. Well, it was, it was all like, um, <coughs> as I remember... What's the Falklands? Where is it? And then you had all these programs about oh how it's very important for Britain to have the Falklands, and you're going what the place that nobody knew about. Uh, yeah. and, th and then there was a, a thing where, where they were trying to suggest there was tons of oil under the Falklands, absolutely tons of it, which they've not found any of to this day. Uh, and then it was all very patriotic and all that sort of thing. And they were, it was yeah. I, 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 that, see, I've never. I've never really been like that. I, I, my my brother, um, who, who's sadly passed away now, but he was um, he was very involved in the National Front. Oh, in uh, like seventy nine, eighty, something like that. He was uh, a bit younger. He was uh, a year younger than me. Um, so um, I, I knew a lot of what the right wing were doing. I mean, obviously, he's my brother, and we were you know, blood thicker than water. But I didn't obviously we didn't agree, and that put me the other way. I'm like, I was a very, very socialist at the time. And I saw, and still am, and saw, and, and just sort of, all this jingoism and all that sort of stuff, just like grated. Like, everyone was going, yeah, we've got to keep the Falklands, we need to keep the Falklands. You're like, you know, it's about people who live there, but did, you didn't know we had the Falklands before. I know. It was, uh, they waved, waved them all off, you know, really patriotically and all that. And then I think it, uh, Oh, they took Prince Andrew with them, didn't they? As well. Well, no, he was in an he was in many an helicopter at some stage. Yeah, yeah, good, good job. There weren't any uh, any seventeen-year-olds around, but that's what I was thinking. Well, maybe he'd heard that the um, uh, the Argentinian troops were quite young. Yeah, probably. Oh, <laughs> lots of hot babes in the Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> I, d I don't know, but you know, it's like oh, he's, he's going to get um, he's going to get blown up, and it's like oh, how, how can they do that? You know, and and. Uh, the the thing was that then we suddenly discovered they got they got this thing called Exocet, which kept blowing our ships up. These, these yeah. which was supplied by the French. Uh, <laughs> you know, thanks French people. Yeah, the French were all celebrating that one. As the sea was very calm, we were looking out to sea, and I thought that it looked like a torpedo was on its way because the, the sea was shimmering and shaking, if you like. Um, so I, I said I thought there was a torpedo. The pilot also had trained his glasses around to the same spot and he said, no, it's an Exocet. The officer of the watch and other members of the bridge crew started to um, take cover. But I remember myself and the second officer of the watch becoming transfixed to the, 
the missile on its way in, which really does amaze me now when I come to think of it, but we watched it almost to the point of impact when we quickly huddled together and dropped to the floor. And uh, it, it loads, loads of our ships, and then you suddenly realised, uh, you know, all, all this, uh, oh, we're, we're going to do this, and it's, we're all in charge, you know. It's, it's just chaos. It's just, it was all like, you know, they were, they were making it up as they went along. They didn't know what had hit them. And uh, I think the, the, the main one was that the Atlantic conveyor was full of all the helicopters, and that got, that got hit by a missile. That went down. So that's why they had to walk it across the Falklands. Yeah. Well, I, I remember, I mean, the Belgrano. Do you remember that? Yeah. Gotcha. And all that, stuff. that was on my birthday. It was on my 21st birthday, that. Whoa. Um, and because uh, it was outside the waters, wasn't it? It was, in a way, it was like, that's not fair. That's not British. <laughs> Other developments in the South Atlantic. A British submarine torpedoed and severely damaged the Argentine cruiser General Belgrano. That was last night. The Argentines admit that the Belgrano was hit and damaged and say ships are going to the area to help if necessary. Well, we'll bring you more news as it happens throughout the day. Because of Belgrano, Sheffield got hit. HMS Sheffield, that was like two days later. Yep. And, uh, I mean, the thing is with the Belgrano, Belgrano, we, we killed 323 sailors. Sheffield, 20 sailors died. Now, sad for the sailors, and for, and for their families and all that sort of stuff. But if we hadn't done Belgrano, Sheffield wouldn't have happened, I don't think. Well, you, you don't know. You don't know whether the... the no, you don't. No, no, I know what you're saying, but it's, to me, it was like, it was a big... And, and the, the right wing took it over, didn't they? They took it, they said, oh, yes, it's the British way, and, oh, and yeah. that, that enabled, I think, Thatcher to push even more right wing um, theories and that sort of stuff. And she became her, like, the, the big figurehead, didn't she? Yeah. Did she go over there? I can't remember now. I've got a picture of her on, in my head of her on a tank. No, that was just mucking around on Salisbury Plain, that was. No, all right, didn't Pub see Publicity yeah. stunt kind of thing, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I remember it as well because um, Spurs, did Spurs have our dealers playing yeah. from? Yeah. And he was getting booed. Yeah, so um, he our went to Paris Saint-Germain, didn't yeah. he? Sorry, so that, that was like, again, that was like, everybody's like jumping on the bandwagon. Oh, he's Argentinian, therefore he must, in a way. Yeah, he's, he's born Argentinian, yeah, he's playing over here. Don't we call him killing anybody, do you? No, <laughs> And then he, he was, um, he was all, all good friends again after that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, which was, which was a strange one. And then uh, once, uh, the, I was looking at politics and uh, the biggest opponent to the Conservatives were actually the SDP Liberal Alliance. Right. Yeah, they were in the polls. The SDP Liberal Alliance had actually overtaken the Conservatives. Maggie Thatcher was so unpopular. And, uh, oh, right, yes, yeah. Maybe before this, yeah. Labour were busy shooting. Yeah, that was um, David, David Steele. Yeah, David Steele and David... Um, David Owen. David Owen, yeah, to the two Davids. So, uh, yeah, was that, he was in his pocket, wasn't he, in spinning? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> so, so they were actually proving more popular because Labour was shooting themselves in the foot, I think, uh, arguing amongst themselves as usual, and then no, no, no never, <laughs> never known them to do that. Uh, then the the, the 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 war is won, and, and Margaret Thatcher is the most popular Prime Minister ever. Uh, you know, um, for, forget the unemployed. We won the war. That's it. But that's, and that's the thing, isn't it? That's 
that's the, that's the British people in a nutshell, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, did, I think the Rise of the Sun newspaper sort of is indirectly associated to that, isn't it? Because mm. they, they they were very much uh, the oh, the paper that supports our troops. Is that right? Oh god, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the... They used that, so therefore that, that was a, a big thing for yeah. them. Um, and, and you know, you, I suppose in a way you could always attribute the Falklands to the Rise of the Sun as well. Well, well the, the Sun was very very popular, but. Uh, they increased the popularity and went to over three million sales a day. Uh, you know, this was a day when the, you know the Mirror and the Sun would compete every day yeah. to see who got the most. And the Sun used to top it out, and they they got even more popular because they introduced bingo. Ah, yes, <laughs> Sun Bingo. Now, oh dear, yes. Does, what, what what does that say about the British public? Yeah. <laughs> It basically says everything there, really. Because someone managed to um, to cheat, didn't they? Did they? Yeah, it was... Um, I don't think it was 82. One year, someone managed to cheat on some bingo. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll have a quick look so I can find it. But, uh, yeah, I think someone... someone What someone did, someone at the... Um, uh, the printers printed a... Um, uh, managed to print a, a, a thing off, and um, he uh, got a, a dodgy number sheet, and then gave the numbers to somebody else. Uh, so the the funny thing was, I mean, we had um, the Falklands War um, ends uh, on the June the fourteenth. Argentine forces surrender to British forces. June the thirteenth, the day before that, the nineteen eighty two FIFA World Cup begins in Spain. <laughs> Good timing. With loads of Argentinians, uh, they lost, didn't they? They lost their one of their early games. Yeah, they, they didn't do too well. I don't think in that one. Um, Mind you, I think let's keep quiet because England didn't either, did they? England never do. But uh, so it was. Then it was like England go to, go to Spain, and uh, got to remember. Do you remember Serious Drinking at all? The band. Yes. Oh, yes. Great band. <laughs> Oh yes, they had a song called We're Gonna Win the World Cup in Spain. Ron's gonna host, hoist that World Cup again. Ron needs another Bobby Moore. We are on our way. We are Ron's twenty-two. And no, no, we had this time. We'll get it right. That's right. Yeah. This time. This time. More than any other time. This time. That was it. Oh, it was truthful. Because I remember that year because England had to be. England actually got knocked out without losing a game. Yeah. And they lost. The, they drew nil nil with Spain. I remember Kevin Keegan was injured. He was a top goal scorer that year mm. in in uh, for Southampton. He, got, he he came on with Trevor Brookin. They were like the saviours, and uh, we got nowhere near the goal really. To be oh, honest. Oh no, Ke- Keegan come in at the back post and he he did a fancy header and, and hit it wide. You know. Yeah, if he actually headed it properly, it'd have probably gone in. You know, had he got that one, we would. I think we would have been equal with Germany. Oh, we needed to win 2-0 yeah 
and it was like we'd drawn with Germany 0-0 Germany beat Spain England needed to win 2-0 you know yeah. comes over 15 minutes left does this flashy header which just goes wide had he scored that could have been in to win it but wasn't <laughs> but, but, but wasn't the, um, the most uh, out of that World Cup I mean I know um, Italy won it didn't they yeah. Italy beat Germany France. they beat Germany yeah. three one, three worst one. thing out of that was um, Schumacher's assault on Batistone wasn't it oh God, that, that was horrendous. Tackled by Bossi. Flattany taking over and playing the great ball for Batistol. That was a magnificent ball from Flattany. And Batistol, so unlucky. Just wonder what the uh, referee thought about the challenge from Schumacher on Batistol. They looked a wild jump. Batten, he comes to have a word with Lopez to see whether he's ready to come on without really having... That was in the semi-final, wasn't it? They were, it was like, uh, I think it was 1-1. Was it 1-1 at the time or 2-1? He, he was a defender, Batistone. He knocked it past him and suddenly... No, no, he's a, he's a, he was a... He gave a goal kick! He was a goalie. It was... Yeah. So, so um, Schumacher just basically flattened the, flattened the. Was he was he defender or the goalie that he flattened? He was defender. Batistone was a defender. Oh. The motor went through. It was a ball over the top, and he found him. He'd never been in that position before, I don't think. <laughs> but he's knocked it past the keeper. I've got this. And suddenly, boosh, oh yeah, knocks out. And um, but the, the, the referee gave a goal kick. He broke his jaw. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then he went and on. Went on penalties, Jeremy. Yeah, he went on to save the penalty <laughs> and. Uh, Everybody's like, yeah. good old Germany. We we really like them. <laughs> <laughs> well played. But, but, but that was also the thing with Germany. I mean, everyone was happy Germany lost the final because they'd also um, they had that they had the thing where they drew with they with Austria. They, Austria. Austria. they beat them one nil, and then they were realised both teams realised that if neither team scored again, both of them were going through. So they were kicking it about between themselves. Yeah, basically. But all the players stayed in the positions and were just like, pass it to the forward, yeah. back to the midfield, back to the defence, back to the goal. Yeah, they, yeah, they changed the rules after that. <laughs> yeah, they had, you have to play the finishing games at the same point. Yeah. It was Algeria, I think, who uh, didn't really like that. Algeria got knocked out, yeah. 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 See, it comes flooding back now, all this nonsense. And it, <laughs> and, and it, was, and it was a year that, yeah, everybody <clears throat> cheered for Northern Ireland. Cause, cause they, they did, yeah, yeah, they got stuff though, didn't they? 4-1, didn't they? They lost 4-1. Yeah, but that Northern Ireland, uh, they they went and beat Spain. In Spain. Yeah, was it? Was that the... Um, Jerry Armstrong. Who scored the goal there? Was that Jerry Armstrong or yeah. was it the... Uh, Jerry, Jerry Armstrong's goal? Yeah. yeah. Jerry Armstrong, what a worker he is. Striding away there with Hamilton to his right. Norman Whiteside up on the far side of the area. Still Billy Hamilton, he's got past Tendilio. Right out, and that was a different year, wasn't it? That was Italy. I that, think. That's a different island. 
talking about Northern Ireland. Oh, yeah, you're quite right. Yeah, yeah. But it's Iron Island. Trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, I mean, Northern Ireland under Billy Bingham, they, they beat Spain 1 0. And, uh, you know, Norman Whiteside played at age 17. <laughs> you know, in the World Cup. Yeah, I know. Uh, a, mate, a mate of mine from Belfast, and he, he played uh, schools football to a higher level. And this uh, enormous guy called Norman from the Shankill Road came on for the other team, and uh, nobody got near him. And, you know, two years later, Norman's playing in the World Cup final. <laughs> yeah, and your mate's going, he kicked me. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get near him. You see this scar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Norman. Yeah, so that's. So England didn't win the World Cup, but um, the uh, the Italian bloke went utterly bonkers mental after scoring the, the winning goal. Trying to find Rubic, look at Shirea here. It's two against two, but Altabelli has gone. No, he hasn't gone offside. He's checked. This is Conti. It's Rossi. It's Shirea. It's Begomi. It's Shirea. They're appealing for offside, not given. Shirea right across to Marco Tardini! 2-0 to Italy! What was Chesterfield doing that year? Oh, probably rubbish as usual. No, well, we, right, we had our best um, team just breaking up. We uh, Arthur Cox was the manager. Uh, remember, remember Mad Arthur Cox? Yes, indeed. Well, well, what was it you were in then? Well, we, we'll be in Division 3, as always. <clears throat> Arthur Cox actually came. This is this is how things have changed from a team in Turkey he was managing called Galatasaray. All right, yes. <laughs> went, went from part time as Galatasaray to managed Chesterfield. Chesterfield. And, and he <laughs> he put together our, our best ever team, which had uh, Danny Wilson in it. Uh, I suppose he was the main man. Um, Jeff Sammons. Do you remember Jeff Sammons? The name, yeah, I know the name, yeah. Oh, Sheffield yeah. United, Leicester, Stoke, and. Um, Guy called Alan Birch, um, Ernie Moss up front, and uh, we we won the Anglo-Scottish Cup. I don't know if you remember that cup. Oh, I do indeed. It was uh, the, we beat Glasgow Rangers three 0 at home. <laughs> and, <laughs> Just a real big Rangers. What? Yeah, and we went up to to Ibrox and drew one all. Uh, on, honestly, outclassed them. Uh, Ra- Rangers have actually etched the game out of the history books. That was 1981, I think. And then Cox left to go to um, Newcastle. His assistant took over, and you know we nearly got promoted again, but just failed three years on the trot. And then the team broke up, and we got relegated again in '84. So that's that's the way it goes. We have, once nah. every, once every ten years, the club spends a load of money trying to get into the second tier of English football, fails, then the you know the wheels fall off again. So, yeah. So. Well, when, when we're doing their uh, their up and down as they normally do, we got relegated '83, '82. Yeah. Uh, relegated from Division Three into Division Four, then next season came back up again. All right. And but then sort of started upwards, our upward trend then up to '88. What started it though? I don't know really. It was the same team, the same team we played together. Besson was there, and uh, Wally Downs, uh, Colkey was there. I think I was just might have picked a few more players up, but it's it's it was the um, the very much the the, the 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 team at the time. You know, it was it was a team effort. And, and they, they were a team rather than in, uh, they didn't really stand out players at the time and sort of built it up from there and there yeah I remember Besant being in the goals I remember Laurie Sanchez played for him a lot I'm, uh, he played for Reading as well didn't he 
He did, yeah. Yeah, uh, I remember he scored no goal when we beat him seven one. But that's another story for another day. Uh, so you know, you know, and uh, Wimbledon, you could rely on them for a nil nil draw. And <laughs> basically, it was always it was always dodgy at our, our, our ground, wasn't it? Must admit, a hard fought nil nil Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had, I mean, we had like Stuart Evans up front. He was like six foot four. He was massive. Yeah. And uh, who else playing? Kevin Gage was playing. Went on to play the set with uh, Sheffield United. Oh right, okay, yeah. But a lot of them, a lot of them, sort of like no one ever. We never sort of knew who's. You know, a lot of them never went on to like do nothing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they were. Okay, well, actually, I mean, a manager now, Glenn Hodges, he was playing at the time. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went to Sheffield United with Wally. Dawson. He was playing for them, yeah. I mean, so they they were a team rather than sort of like, and then like at the end of '82. So like they they, they like picked up a few more players and um, they sort of built it up slowly because um, Dave Bassett was in charge. So he sort of like picked up a lot of players from um, non-league. Yeah, but and, he, he, and Billy, Billy came at some stage, didn't he, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, they knew, they knew what he was doing though, Dave Bassett, in terms of team. Oh building. yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, and uh, you know he's, he's always he always kind of built a team wherever he went. It won't. It wasn't going to be pretty, but it could get a result. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's be honest. No one cared about the lower leagues today. It was just like all Liverpool at the time, wasn't it? Well, yeah, quite. I mean, we were talking they, about. They, they won the league, yeah, didn't they? You can always say who won the league in 1980? Liverpool. <laughs> or, or if, or occasionally Everton. Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, it, it was it was Liverpool, Liverpool all the time. Uh, so what do what do we have? Um, just back to music. Um, yeah. You were talking about Dex's Midnight Runners earlier. Right? Well, yeah, well, uh, I, I read that the biggest selling single that year was, was Dex's Come On Eileen. watching the video being made the video was recalled was made outside a shop just round the corner from where Apocalypse used to uh, rehearse and we uh, went around and saw him sort of recording it was like just round the corner from where uh, from, from where I lived as well it was just down the end of the road mm-hmm. uh, all stood outside this shop uh, all these lights on and every, all that sort of stuff we just like just above it there was like a big piece of grass and it was just like full of kids and and uh, older teenagers like us and that sort of thing, young young twenties, all just sat up there watching them. But in fact, we didn't get anywhere near them. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like they weren't sort of like stars. You know, these days, you know, if, if, if the big band was doing something near you, you'd have people hanging back. Oh, can you your autograph and you sang this and you do a selfie. Um, obviously, we didn't have selfies then. No. Um, but so the, everyone just like left them. It was like, oh, they're on. There you go. Those Dexes look like, a, like an everyday occurrence. Yeah, Not names recording outside, but they, they, they recorded that video out there, just people outside. Might, people uh, might have thought the gypsies had turned up, though. <laughs> 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 in that part of London, mate, there was loads of them <laughs> at the time. But that's a, that was a funny thing with Dexys. We were talking about image before. They changed their Im- three great albums, completely changed their image on every album. They did, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it was amazing. I mean, I was, watching, I was listening to, um, I mean, their first album was a great album. 
especially with young soul rebels. I didn't realise how many of those songs are actually covers. I thought that some of them were their own. I mean, oh, wow. seven days too long and all that sort of stuff. But some of them, I thought, and I was just like, this is some old Northern soul over there, and a Dexy song coming up. I haven't done this. But it was a cover. I can't believe what it was now. Oh, right. Um, and it was amazing how around that time, especially in the 80s, so many people were nicking old old covers and like doing them. Like the only way is up by years off, and that was one of hers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not till like 88 or something like that. No, but, no. That, yeah, listening to those sort, of, those sort of things. How many people were nicking stuff? Because I think at the time you don't realise because the internet wasn't about, so you couldn't check it out, could you? No, and you, if it was the first time you heard something personally, you know, some old fart DJ who had been around in the 60s would say, hey, that was a song by such and such, you'd be like, oh, I don't care about that. Great, you know, even like The Lion yeah. Sleeps Tonight, when that was a number one when I was at school, you know, the, the teacher's going, oh, that's Carl Denver, or whoever it was. And we're like, Oof. yeah. Not bothered about him. Some problem. Some old dead guy. Who cares? You know? Yeah, we, we like tight fit. Yeah. <laughs> well, well like don't tell anyone. Two of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but eighty-two was the year that Boy George appeared as well, wasn't it? Well, yeah. And th- this was the thing. The it was like the whole, like the the jam split up. Stiff little fingers split up a year later. Uh, the Clash split up a year later. You know, yeah. the Buzzcocks had already split, and that um, the Stranglers changed the sound. Susie and the Banshees changed their sound, and it was like, hang on, this is all going great, now it's the end of an era. With, yeah, because that punk never happened, 83. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, with, within one year. Um, obviously, then I got into all like the Discharge and the Exploited and uh, Antipasti and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, but, yeah you either went one way or the other. Yeah, um, but it, it was a kind of change in that, I was just, I'm just looking at some of the albums which came out. You got Soft Cell, Non-Stop Erotic Cabaret, which I do love, yeah. I do think it's a great album. So, you know, Electronica's coming in. We've also got top albums like UFO and Motorhead. But uh, Kraftwerk got to number two with The Man Machine as well. So you've got this kind of two different things going on. Yeah, well, Pelican West came out as well, didn't it? Pelican, Pelican oh, 100. Beer got 100. Yeah, Pelican 100, they were, they were good. This is, again, it's, it's like the benefit of age. You can listen to songs now being as old as we are yeah and you can you can appreciate some of the older songs you listen to where I come on 100 now and you think they're good yeah well you you listen you go what's he on about Um, but I I must have I looked at all the albums that came out in 81 and and, and there was only three that I particularly like Pelican West was one of them The Gift obviously which was a jam yeah and Fun Boy 3 yeah, because um, they released their first first album. The rest of the stuff, and I'm like, oh dear. No, I'm not. Wasn't a big soft self. I wasn't really into all that electronic stuff. Oh, um, the thing was with the new romantics. I thought they all did a good first song or a good first album, and then they went kind of pop or rubbish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Culture Club yeah. was supposed to be really alternative, and then it's just like, oh right, we're kind of. I mean, I, I can actually remember watching Boy George on top of the pops. Yeah, and I, actually, you know, because you know, you, you read all these things, read, all, you know, read the papers. Oh, my, I remember my, my dad saying, "Is that a boy or a girl?" I can actually remember my mum saying, "Is that a boy or a girl?" <laughs> and I just remember it being a good song. I just really liked it. I thought that's not a bad song. That yeah, that's quite good then. Yeah, um, and and the, these these days, you know, uh, people are like, "What is is that gay bloke gay? What, does he like another bloke?" 
yeah. It was still like. The thing is, I lived near Covent Garden as well. Like where, 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 um, where my mum and dad lived was just over the road from Westminster Bridge. So you could cross over the bridge. Like it was brilliant for me and my brother. We used to go to all these gigs when we were like 16, 17. Wow. Like wow. 90s, 70s, end of, the, end of the 70s, like 77, right up to like the 80s. Go all these gigs and we could go anywhere and then get a night bus home. So night bus still went to Trafalgar Square. Then we'd like stagger home from Trafalgar Square. Brilliant for us. But Covent Garden was like, started to be full of people dressing like Boy George. The day after he was on telly, you <laughs> suddenly see all these people dressing like him. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And the, the the whole um like King's Road. The first time I went to London, like on my own or, or with some mates, went let's go down the King's Road because that's where it'll all be happening. And we're just like, this is crap. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah. It was uh, pictures for the tourists. You got to pay me your own picture taken. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and there was like one shop with some clothes <coughs> in it, and we were like, what is this? It. This is what I've I've heard about. And you know, then we went to Carnaby Street, and that was as plastic as could be. Oh yes, yeah, Carnaby it was indeed. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that just got that, that, that was on its way out from about that from then. I mean, there was a good bands about like the Colds and uh, and Purple Arts and, and that sort of stuff. But yeah. and, um, that mod mod thing because like Quadrophenia had been like seventy nine and they kind of sort of cotton onto that, but it was dying. And I, I think the early eighties, sort of eighty three, eighty four, because it was it was that stage where people didn't know what they were wanting to listen to because like a lot of like solely stuff started coming there like um loose ends and like level 42 were about at the time weren't they i mean yeah. level 42 actually the early stuff is better than the later stuff but all that was like underground and all that sort of thing because the message came out you too didn't it like a jungle sometimes it makes me wonder how I can oh, go it? okay so that, that's a whole whole new thing like which I think you did it towards the end of it <laughs> this is going to say a name dropping again right? warning because um, I remember because Weller when we recorded our when we recorded our single it, where, where, where the studios was around the corner from uh, Marble Arch and Marble Arch there was a I think it was uh, HMV where it was around the corner it might have been Virgin I don't know if Virgin was about them um, and he sent me out to go and buy uh, the message on import. Uh, I remember he gave me a tenner, and I, I won't be that much. Got in there, it was like eight pounds. I thought I've never paid eight pounds for a single in my life. Yeah. And I really, but goes, oh, it's, it's good, this mate. You're like this. I really wanted to say to him, it's not for me. It's for Paul Weller. <laughs> but I didn't. I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> I could have done that. So I go back, and he played it, and we were like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, that sort of stuff. I, 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 Jeff, our bass player, was really into it. Oh. I remember that. And uh, the, the drummer, Chris, um, they, they both really liked it. To me, it was like, yeah, give or take, whatever. Well, you can have it. But um, I think it probably influenced Jeff more than anything else. But maybe that sort of influenced, you know, he was sort of starting getting into all that sort of stuff, I think, then. Yeah. See, full circle there, back to Weller. Yeah, well, back, back to back to Paul Weller again. I guess my, my favorite my favorite albums of this year, which I still have on the shelf, I'll say uh, XTC um, English Settlement because I was a big fan of them. Uh, they that got senses working overtime on it. Love that song. Oh, yep, yeah. And uh, obviously the Clash Combat Rock. This is a public service announcement with guitar.
Smash albums. I, I, I was like, I think they, I don't know, I wasn't a big fan after that. Well, I'm still on websites with, with people yeah, arguing. Combat with... Rock was a bit too, um, not much to it. To me, it was a bit poppy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. I'm you by saying that, haven't I? No, 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 it, it, it is. But um, the, the thing was, I mean, I, I was on a website and people arguing that um, Sandinista was a great record, and I'm like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it was a triple album, that was it. It, it was... <laughs> It, it was a tri- it was a triple album that was like um, um, two albums too long. I thought Sandinista, because that's when they went totally reggae. And by then, like all the British punk fans were like, "Oh, the Clash have cleared off and gone to America." I was reading fanzines when people were saying you might as well be the Rolling Stones, all this kind of thing. But they did make it huge in America off of the back of Combat Rock. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's kind of it's it's polished, and the reason why it's polished is Glyn Johns got his hands on it. Oh, did he? Yeah, oh, I've, I've, that read, that. His, I've yeah. read his book, Glyn Johns. The the um, the only bit he misses out was like, yes, then I produced The Who, and Keith Moon got up to some antics, but I'm not going to tell you those in this book. I'm like, fuck off, that's the best thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you should read, I'll tell you what you should read, Roland, is uh, Dear John, I think it's called. Um, Dear Boy? Which is T- Tony Fletcher's book on, um, on Keith Moon really really good I have his autobiography which is or his biography I should say which is about half an inch thick the Keith Moon one I think it's cool oh man right. no 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 it's totally better I think it's, I remember that maybe when you've got that note but it's, it is very very good Dear yeah John. I, it's, I got that it's good but ju- just to tell you back, back back to the Clash and Combat Rock yeah I've got, a, I've got a double album of the outtakes which was like it would have ended up another Sandinista it would have ended up a sprawling mess unless yeah. Glenn Johns had turned up and he said he sat down with Joe Strummer every day and they just went through it and went look you can do it you can have that song but I'm going to turn it into this you can have that song I'm going to turn it into that and that one's rubbish that's going and he said he got on fine with, with Joe Strummer and like uh, then Mick Jones turned up two weeks later going right what are we doing and it's like well we've done it see you Mick <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's uh, that tells you to turn up for work on time if nothing else uh, you know, and uh, th- th- it would have been, you know, a sort of a cinematic dubby soundtrack thing with stuff that sounded like funk or Prince, which Mick Jones had written, and you can see where he took that and went on to Big Audio Dynamite. But yeah. Yeah. you know, even then, he would have needed that polishing up. Um, and uh, you know, the, the, the demo, the demos are there, all like, know your rights. I, I mean, I bought the single, I stuck the sticker proudly on my French book with no, know your rights on it. <laughs> <laughs> My, my French exercise book had a Clash sticker on it, uh, but that that was really a comeback as far as a lot of people in England were concerned. And because you know, I, I remember at the time, around that time, producers were sort of taking over, weren't they? Yeah, everything was being overproduced. Because when we did our single uh, the, the year later, uh, we used um, the, the studio engineer was in a band called Chack yeah, C H Sheffield. They're from Sheffield, weren't Sheffield they? band, correct, yeah. And um, he sort of, and uh, him and the producer sort of like almost tried to take us. Well, they did. They took our song and changed it into something else. Yeah. Um, but I think producers were kings at the time, weren't they? Well, I, I, you know, I don't know. Never having been in the record industry, but you know, Czech were a very early electronic band. Well, they were a band from Sheffield who turned, I think, into like a two-piece electronic experiment kind of thing. Because uh, yeah. I think around about that time, you know, White Man got hold of the synthesizer 
<laughs> it would have been better playing a guitar. Yeah, they say start, they were sort of trying to turn us into like a white funk band, I think, at the time. Sort yeah. of thing. We're like, no, we're not like that. <laughs> Although I think possibly a couple of our members might have quite liked that. But the thing is, with, with our band, we were like, we had punk elements, we had soul elements, we had reggae elements, all, all sort of combining. And it combined quite well. Yeah. But when one wanted to take over, that's where it sort of started going a bit wrong, really. Yeah, you didn't play any funk slap bass because I, I think that's the that's the point at which bands go bad when the bass player decides he's going to play funky slap bass. <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> Nowhere near me, but I think anywhere, anywhere near a guitar <laughs> but, uh, or a drum. In fact, or a mic. <laughs> <laughs> can't sing either. Ah, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> And uh, yeah, well, and just uh, 82 as well, Dare by the Human League. So that was October 81 was a hit from, you know, I bought it. It was, it was a hit forever, basically, that one. Yeah. Oh, Dare was a great album. Everybody needs cash to spend. Everybody needs love and affection. Everybody needs two or three friends. These are the things, these are the things, the things that. And, uh, yeah, don't you want me? Don't you want me? Was number one at the start of the year, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it was over Christmas, and uh, but there was also uh, Love and Dancing as well, wasn't there? Oh, was that the the dub album? That was the dub version, of that, and that was excellent as well. The Human League. I really like that. The Human League Orchestra or something like that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I remember. I say what else happened this year as well uh, that I was slightly involved in uh, was Channel Four. All oh, right. Okay. Channel Four started in, on November second first. Uh, November second, nine eight two, countdown. Richard White. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously, it gave us things like um, comic strip and all that sort of stuff. But at the time, I was working for an advertising agency in the accounts department. The advertising agency who did all the advertising for Channel Four launching. This is Channel Four, the new national television service broadcasting through the transmitters of the Independent Broadcasting Authority. Channel Four starts today at four forty-five offering a variety of new and interesting programs seven days a week and i remember we, we were all sat in uh in like reception when channel four came on sat there with loads of beers advertising <laughs> would do in those days everything was alcohol fueled oh, well and other stuff and other stuff i should imagine but didn't get around near that but uh i remember channel four coming on uh it was an event and uh like around like retune your tellies and that sort of stuff didn't they well, it was it. Channel 4 and obviously it's still going so it must have been quite good wasn't it well it, it was and it, what was it called Channel 4 Letter Word you remember that one yeah and uh, Brookside came on and it Brookside was, was there it was immediately shocking the nation uh, as <laughs> you know southerners were saying why can't these scousers have subtitles and <laughs> you know and uh, it's it's left wing filth. That was the other one. And uh, there, there was a, a naked man yeah. and swearing. Filth was spelled P H I L. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, no, that was. I, I mean, I, that was. I remember Channel Four. I remember that one sign because I, I used to do a lot of. Well, I was involved in like the artwork, not the artwork side of it, but our company was, and we we, we came up with the ideas and all that sort of stuff. And our, we had a bloke called John Webster who was. Like almost like God in the uh, advertising world at the time. 
and he just came back. He did, um, what's it, uh, the Hoffmeister bear as well, George what? the bear. Oh, what, his, he, he came up with the bear? That was based on the message. <laughs> what? What does that mean? The Hoffmeister bear, you know the, um, the music he used to walk along to? Yeah. That was uh, rips off of the message. Oh, of course, yeah. Because it, then it, it was obviously the bear was on the actual lager. So the bear was on the lager, then we, get, we had a, like a trendy cool bear, didn't we? He was yeah. drinking off Meister. He's um, like Chaz and Dave of the drinks world or something. <laughs> Since leaving the forest, the lads have been introducing me to some traditional occasions, like Escot. To see the horses. Yeah, Prince of Wales. Yeah. And the penguins. <laughs> A place where all the right gear is important. Like Hofmeister. Chilled to perfection, of course. Well, best bring your own lager. Looks like the local stuff makes your arms go funny. Hey, Hofmeister. A great lager. Follow the bear. Oh, yes, yes. And Dave with the lager world. Um, well, we did the Chaz and Dave adverts as well. <laughs> <laughs> what? well the place that company that works at were like one of the biggest advertised agencies in, in, uh, in England. Wow. Uh, those were see me pollets, BMP. Okay. Uh, I've got a job in the accounts department there. Okay. So it's quite good. So live me way in there. Um, uh, saying yeah, I could do this. I could do this. I can do this. And uh, after having been there about two months, my boss called me and she went, "You can't do any of that, can you?" I went, "No." Oh. I'll be honest with you. I said, "Are you gonna sack me?" She went, "No." I said, "Oh, you're all right. You, you, you could quite." I was quite lively for the department so they were quite happy with me she said uh, we'll just stay behind after work and I'll teach you how to do it okay. it wasn't a euphemism honest <laughs> um, and uh, and she did she taught me everything she wow. taught me how to do it with me. I'll, I'll never forget it so Iris Vengen if you're out there listening thanks very much okay right <laughs> that's good we worked at an ad agency Yo, can, no, can you remember any of the other adverts from from Yo back in the day I can, I can. back in those ones blimey um, I, I mean the most um, at that particular time I'm trying, I can't actually remember what we did because <laughs> um, like, like we did we were involved in a lot of um, uh, songs a lot of songs a lot of adverts uh, and we did we ended up doing like a GLC adverts and oh we did the AIDS adverts oh the um, um, the ones with the um, block of ice going towards you that I can well it was more sort of more the um, uh, oh sort of the, the one the ones that was in the, do, you, do you remember one that was in in the paper um, that was there was a girl who said this is what a girl looks like who doesn't have AIDS and then he turned it over and there was a picture of a girl who said this is what a girl looks like who, who does have eyes and it was the same picture yeah okay but I, I remember with that what they had to do they had to get a model from Holland to do it because no model from this country uh, would take it on okay so just basically there'll be people pointing a finger at her in the street going you've got AIDS you've got AIDS yeah yeah so no one no one in this country would take it on wow okay now that that brings me back to the, to the seventies. You obviously remember the public information films. Yeah. Oh yeah, the yeah. Hor- horrendous ones. You know, the girl with the long hair next to the lathe. You see the hair. You see the lathe. Oh, now she's all hairs. Oh, what's going to happen there? Yeah. Cross code, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. But what I want to know is there was Stranger Danger. Do you remember that? Yeah. With a, with a pervert in the park, and, it, <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. who would be the pervert? <laughs> I mean, honestly. And how did his agent sell him the gig? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Once you beat this, this really, yeah. Really? That would be, yeah, because in a way the AIDS thing was was very similar to that, wasn't it? It was yeah. like people would always associate you with adverts, especially if you're relatively famous. Yeah, you're, you're going to be popular. Everybody in the country will know you, mate. Just just sign here. What's it for? AIDS. Yeah. Do you say AIDS? Yeah, kind of. Don't matter. Just sign it. No. Because uh, Terence Higgins died in '82. Oh my God! Right, yeah, right, okay. And then that's the, he was. That was he was that sort of started all about that, didn't he? The Terence Higgins trust and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But he actually died in '82. So I've just uh, done a, a brief bit of research on Channel Four. Um, they they had um, Oracle. Oh yes, you could you could watch the Oracle. Instead of oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was exciting. I mean, the, best, the best things for me on Channel Four was the comic strip presents. Oh yeah, absolutely. Tell me, amigos, what's the meanest, nastiest, dirtiest hell hotel in town? Yes, for two mean, ugly, gunslinging <laughs> bastards like us to stay in for two weeks. I want the hotel uh, Bastardos. It's a bitch. This is the manager. He's a my best friend. <laughs> nice to meet you, Mr. Bastardos. <laughs> You'll be in my hotel at four o'clock, you bastard, you uh, crazy. It was the only thing worth watching when it started. It was, pretty much, yeah. GLC. Yeah, and uh, they had uh, Five Gone Mad on Mexico. I say, this is a jolly wizard lunch, and you really are going to make someone a great little wife one day. Mm, my favourite, ham and turkey sandwiches, heaps of tomatoes, fresh lettuce and lashings of ginger beer. This is just the kind of holiday I like. Picnicky meals, not too much adventure. Ha! Well, don't speak too soon, old thing. Yeah, Fido. That's strange. Why on earth would somebody want to feed Timmy? Yes, that was rather odd. Shh! I say, look over there. What a strange pair. Yes. One's got a big nose and thick lips, and the other one's got mean, clever little eyes. And they're unshaven. Just look at the way they're slouching. Eh, yeah, poo. I hope they don't come anywhere near me. I feel as if I can smell them from here. Shh! I can hear them talking. What about the sparklers, Punchy? Don't you worry about them. I look at that. Well, now that you're out of jail, you'd better lie low. Do you think they're escaped convicts? Yes. Or traitors to a country? Kind of We'd better call the yeah. police. Yeah, I'd endorse it. Uh, I love them. Oh, and um, of course the, the cowboy one, uh, fistful of travellers checks. I love that. Eve, do you remember that one? Oh yeah. I mean, I've actually got them all upstairs. Even, <laughs> Better look down here, actually. Even today, if, if if somebody if somebody says what is it, I just want to. Are you showing somebody a ticket? I want to say it's a Euro Rover, old man. <laughs> the thing was mine. I, 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 know, I remember what, I remember watching on telly though. You know, you said, do you remember the kids from Fame? Yeah, yeah. Who, who couldn't forget the kids from fame? You've got big dreams. You want fame. Well, fame costs. And right here is where you start paying. Don't you know who I am? Remember my name. Say, I'm gonna live forever. I'm gonna learn how to fly. Oh, I feel it coming to oh, yeah, the thing is, like, the, film, the film was on, then they did the, the TV thing. Because um, my wife Lorraine loves it. She loves the kids from Park. And I must admit, I'll find myself a big fan of it as well. But the um, the soundtracks from the TV programs are number ones in the UK this year. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they, they, I remember on the news, they came to Britain, they're all on a coach, and they did a, they, like a concert tour, and they're getting mobbed yeah. like the Beatles, you know? 
They were, they were great. Yeah. High fidelity. Hi, 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 hi. Is that the only one? Is that the only one you remember? Uh, that's one of the ones I remember. I, I, yeah, think, I, think that's, I think that's Lorraine's favourite, High Fidelity, I think. Well, I've, I've talked to, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, collect my missus and, and a lot of her friends who seem to like it, and the main reason they watched the kids from Fame was um, Leroy's trousers. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're quite tight in the trouser department, the ballerina chap. <laughs> And I can't remember what his name was. Leroy, and then they had um, Shirovsky, Mr. Shirovsky, who was the uh, piano teacher. Yeah. And uh, Doris, Doris Schwartz. Doris, yeah. Oh, that's right. Doris, that was, um, I think, right, I think she, that was her favourite, Doris. She oh. always wanted to be her. Oh. <laughs> Gene Anthony Ray, there you go. That's, uh, that's who played uh, Leroy. He, he ended up um, smashed out of his head on drugs, I think. <laughs> I think so, yeah, there was rumours, right? rumours he died, yeah. and then he hadn't died, <laughs> and then he, he had died, I've no idea if he was alive, um, um, we, could, we could rely on, on uh, well, oh, he's, he's apparently dead. He can't sue us, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Good on, he can't be in a bit of, well according to Wikipedia he's dead, he might not be, <laughs> the complications of a stroke. Oh well, um, you know, that's... Uh, so where it was, and who else? I'm just trying to remember the, the other ones. It was Danny, uh, and um, it was Bruno played the piano. Oh, Bruno, yeah. Ring yeah, he was a real piano player, wasn't he? Yeah, could I actually play the piano. <laughs> well done on the casting. So, yeah, that's right, yeah. But, but yeah. Oh, Lawrence Singer, who was she played? Cello like, player, Singer. she played the cello. What, what? Yeah, what was her name in there? Oh, I don't know, uh, Doreen. I don't know, Hang on. Hang on, that's her there. Where are we going? Come on, where are you going? In fame. Julie Miller. All right. But, uh, but it was, it, oh, like, that, was, was that a Saturday night thing, Kids from Fame? I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, probably that early Saturday night spot. But uh, as I remember the plot, everybody always had to have a trauma and had to talk. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was a trauma always going on. Mr. Tr- Mr. Shirovsky, they had to talk to him. And he, he was a wise old man. They would tell them what to do. And then they had a song and dance routine. And it was all all right yeah. at the end. After a song and dance routine, that's it. You know? And uh, what's it called? Uh, Debbie Allen was the... Uh, she played the teacher, didn't she? We were paying bloods in sweats. Paying costs. And right here's where you start paying. Yeah. Paying, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And um, yeah, and then the some of them were actual actors and some of them went on to drugs. <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah. Oh, happy days. I think happy days are still on, isn't it? Crikey. Well, had Fonzie jumped the shark by then? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he might have done. I think Mork and Mindy might have finished as well. It might have been on that Yeah, okay. And um, I was just looking back at, at Channel 4. 82, the first edition of The Tube is broadcast. Right, play very close attention indeed. Walk to your television set and turn it up. It's November the 5th and we're going to do something now that's going to go in the annals of television history. It's a live rock show. From now on, you'll be watching Fantastic Tube. Yeah, 5th November. In fact, see, back to my band again, Tony uh, Fletcher ended up being a presenter on it at one stage. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Did he, he, did a, he did a bit of presenting on it. Did he have short black Come hair? Did he, did he have like, short black hair and that, that kind of thing? No, he was, uh, look, look um, punky. Punky blonde hair. All right, okay. All right, so he'd gone, he'd gone off mob by then, as he and uh, turned into a TV presenter. Oh, no, no, he wasn't, he was never in a mod, he was always a... Um, he was always a bit of, sort of a little punky, a punky boy, Tony. Oh, right, OK. Hey, I'm, the tube was presented by Live Host. Tony Fletcher's on it, actually. He's got his own uh, 
David Sylvian at Japan haircut and he would just talk at the person at 100 miles an hour and not let them get a word in and he interviewed Bono on that view too and just Bono not get, any, not get a word in no Bono could not get a word in and he was just like, he was just like almost like Bono was just like throwing his arms up in despair and he got nothing out of him at all but it was groundbreaking the tube I just thought it was. It was I was, yeah. yeah. You used to rush over it, didn't you? It was. It was our show. It was. It was not the adults' show. It well, was, the thing is, yeah. Is it, was it five o'clock? It was on. Five thirty, six o'clock. Yeah. See, I always missed it. I always had to like try and tape them if I remembered. I'm a dad when I'm watching something. Uh, I, I was working, right? So I was twenty-one at the time. You uh, were a baby. Well, yeah. I'd, I'd be like, get off the, get off, standing from the screen, get off and watching this and watching this, you know. And then, yeah. What was you in '82? You were about 17. No, I would have been um, uh, 16. 16, yeah. 15, yeah. 15, 16. Uh, and uh, a bit of trivia about the tube: they tried to book Half Man, Half Biscuit to play live on the tube, but uh, Tranmere Rovers were playing on a Friday night, so they didn't go. Oh, I, tell you what, I love Half Man, Half Biscuit. <laughs> I love yeah, what's it? The referees. Oh, the referee's alphabet. The referee's alphabet. Yes. Why? Is Yates, the kind of town where a referee would come from. <laughs> what is it? T-, T. T is for the twenty-man pushing match or whatever. <laughs> Here we go. Um, the, the paragraph before half man half has got Google. The jam performed on the first edition of show in '82. The last TV appearance while he split up. Yep. Remember it? Yep. And the first band that played were the Toy Dolls, who played in the hallway. Was, uh, Jules Holland walked in and said, "Here's the Toy Dolls," and they played. And then, was that Nelly the Elephant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were kind of a cool, kind of a bit like the British version of the Dickies at the time. Yeah, yeah. Did they? Um, when was it? Was it? It must have been early the year after that. Uh, the Jules got uh, kicked, got sold off, or kicked off for saying groovy fuckers. Well, that would have been when it finished, because that finished it, basically. Uh, 87, 88, something like that. Because he did did say that. I I, I read a book about him, and he said, basically, I think what went off in my mind was, I don't want to be here anymore. So, subconsciously, he just went and said that. Uh, he said, be, you know, he, he, they had a pre-advert to the tube coming out. It's like, we'll be on live in half an hour, be there, or be a completely ungroovy fucker. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, that, yeah, yeah, I'll really go. Tony well, uh, Fletcher interviewed Wham. Oh, well, well the, what, whatever became of them, eh? Hey? Yeah, no, yeah. They, they, they didn't ever do anything, will they? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's actually written his own. Um, Memoir, which I think you'd like actually, Tony. Oh, yeah. It's called Blurb Out of Town. I'll have a look. I'll... It's, uh, it's his memoir, it's, it's very, very good. Have a look at that, it's on, it's on Amazon and stuff, it's, uh, it's very good. So, so I'd say that and the Keith Moon book are his, his best two books. Yes, he he's done a biography of um, Wilson Pickett as well. Oh, man. He's very, 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 very good at what he does. Oh, and the guy to the class as well, to be pleased with it. Oh, right, I'll read it that as well. Uh, <laughs> but, but I do remember one time. You remember the Lords of the New Church at all? The night, yeah, um, I don't remember the name, there was someone in it who was relatively famous. Steve Batis, formerly, they were like a punk supergroup. 
Yeah. Still, still players were from the Dead Boys. Uh, yeah. Brian James, ex of the Damned. Brian James, that's who I remember from. And yeah. The bass player Dave Tregana out of the Champ 69. Champ 69. And Nicky Turner out of the Barracudas. And one hit with Summer Fun. Which is the best. Oh, that was a good single as well. Best, yeah. of, best of a fun pop single, I think, Summer Fun. By the Barracudas. Ba- remember how the intro was to go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was them, and they were on the tube, and they did this thing where they opened the dressing room door to each band, and they would wave. <laughs> they opened the door to the Lords of the New Church. Stuart Bates, the singer, was completely naked, uh, with his bits between his legs. <laughs> that, was on, that was on five o'clock on TV. <laughs> That was pretty much what Jules Holland did. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of great memories, apart from the fact that they always put um, Paul Young on it every week. <laughs> yeah, he was out quite a few times, right? Yeah. So, we've run out of artists. Quick, get Paul Young on. He's had a hit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who can we get up Newcastle quickly? Paul Young will do anything. Uh, so, yes, I mean, I'm just looking at... Um, oh, they did actually have Gary Glitter on it, but I don't think we're going to repeat that. <laughs> so... This, this is still something which you would not get today at, you know, for half five or six on a channel watched by, well, a quarter of the country. You know, you've got yep. Heaven 17, Robert Palmer, Iggy Pop, Depeche Mode, The Cult, uh, Big Country, The Stranglers, Susie and the Banshees, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. That was their first break, wasn't it? First big break. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. George, yeah, so many. I mean, the style kind of been there as well, didn't they? Yeah, Dexys, George Clinton, the Go Go's, Grandmaster Flash, uh, Gregory Isaacs, the Jam, you know. Uh, what? Also. Oh, geez. Just think, Jesus and Mary chain there. He's Shalomar, aren't we? Yeah, well, <laughs> I was more into the Jesus and Mary chain than Shalomar. <laughs> you know, that was so You wouldn't get a show these days putting on those different. I suppose in a way it was like a, uh, a teenager's sort of pops on it. Yeah. And you. Yeah. Because um, it was very, um, very irreverent. Oh, oh yeah. And I mean, some of the interviews I've seen, looking back on them, you know, uh, Muriel Gray, who's like a. I don't know, she's a high-powered executive or something these days, used to cringe at some of their interviews. I mean, you know, my dad used to take the piss out of them. They can't even speak properly. And but they were like, um, it, it was a bit flying by the seat of the pants TV, basically. Uh, so, yeah, wonderful show. It had to end like all things, but it lasted five years. And um, great. And it, it, was, uh, it was a good time, I thought. There on Monday, you may recall that uh, we've got something very, very light and sensitive and extremely romantic coming up for you now. Uh, there's a new as yet unsigned band from Liverpool. They're called Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Jules went to Liverpool to be uh, encouraged by them. Is, 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 is there a record available of what we've just heard? 
No, there isn't, but there will be soon, we hope. Have you got a record deal yet? No, and this is why we're doing this. Isn't this why we're doing this? <laughs> why we're doing All that exposure, we should get one soon. Also, I wonder why. I mean, it's an interesting mix of having funk with the uh, sort of, well, how would you describe bondage wear, would you say? S&M. Yeah, S&M. That's a way of putting it. It's just like, we just exaggerate on the way we dress normally, mm. you know mm. what I mean? It's kind of a natural thing for us to do. Have you got a following that would come dressed similar to how you are? Oh, we'd like Oh, that. I, I, just arrived, I just arrived <laughs> on the train. Like the slowest on the way. <laughs> Apart from the war. <laughs> so I see what, see what Channel 4 did, though, as well, in 82, was they, they, they showed the show, the snowman. Oh, walking in the air. That the one. first time ever. And I think it's been on every year since. But it, was the first show, it was the first showing of the snowman. Oh, right, okay. And uh, yeah, lo- lots and lots of things which they. I mean, they, I think these days the channel would have been shut down after about ten minutes. Channel Four, because it's sort of like it clearly didn't make money. Uh, it, it didn't. It didn't really make money for years, but it was on. It was on because it was on. And and they're the first showing of the red triangle as well, when a naughty bit would come. Oh on, yeah. A yeah. naughty bit would come on and a red triangle would appear. <laughs> I remember, yeah, the red triangle was on all the way through the word, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Was that Channel That was, must have been Channel 4. That was Channel 4, yeah. 1990. Right. I, I auditioned to present the word. I got to the last uh, eight. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well done. I had to go to London. And then um, Katie Puckrick turns up. And then uh, she's immediately ushered into the studio. And they're all, you know, all over. And it's like, okay, us auditionees can see what is happening now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it's quite clear what's going to what's going to happen. So I'd, I had to. Sit, was was, was Hafty there at the time? Oh God, no. We <laughs> <laughs> had to do a mock a mock interview with Terry Christian and Derek Hatton. Would you believe? Right. Oh yeah. I mean. Well, Derek Hatton was a big thing on because um, uh, I remember at work uh, when we was at work as well. We we um, we did all the advert advertising at the time for Century Radio, which oh. was a big long stand in London. And Derek Hatton was one of their big um, big names that they they'd signed, like talk radio kind of thing. Yeah, it? sort of thing. Yeah, century, uh, century radio, and uh, it was like, oh, do you really want? And he, he, he came down to our, to us and like, hey, well, right, Derek Hatton. It was like, right, no one moved and was like, you, 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 you go meet Derek Hatton. Oh god! <laughs> and the pick people out to go and say hello to him because no one went to speak to him because he was dick. Well, yeah, uh, and uh, how, how on earth he managed to get away with doing what he did in Liverpool City Council when he was only the deputy mayor or deputy leader of the council, and everybody, yeah. everybody in Liverpool was like, yeah, the, the leaders, you know, just like this old bloke, and he, he pushes him around with his little little mob, and I, I said to mates of mine in Liverpool, if you don't like him, I mean, why don't you get ten of them and just go beat beat him up, you know? <laughs> There's enough hooligans in Liverpool to start a fight. You know, and uh, he just managed to get away with it and bankrupt the city in the end. It was it was crazy. Uh, but that, yeah, that was that was like eighty five minutes something yeah. like that. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that's the way that went. Yeah, and um, I you, I was taking my exams. I didn't I didn't. Uh, I was nearly I nearly went to see the jam on the last tour at De Montfort Hall, but uh, a mate of mine went. Oh, he nearly saw us then. Yeah, right. nearly, nearly. Uh, but I I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't go. So uh, doing my exams, and uh, you know, I, th- I thought I'd go and see the Clash as well at Sheffield, but I was, I think, uh, 
uh, a mate of mine let me down and I had no money and then I was, I'd got some exams to do as well and every, all this sort of thing so it, it was always like ooh and then as soon as I left school all my favourite bands split up <laughs> yeah I must admit I, I do regret I mean I've, I've never ever seen The Clash never saw The Clash I would, I would and I've never seen The Star Council no wow never saw The Star Council seen when I last seen The Jam it's like you know, you know people put these things on Facebook don't they oh here's six bands which yeah. one of these you think I haven't seen <laughs> and I'll, I'll put the clash on every time and everyone goes oh you'll you have seen them <laughs> I'll start counting so you'll have seen them mm. he won't have seen Curiosity Killed the Cat yeah. yes I did yeah. so, sorry I did <laughs> in fact I might know I was about 84 or something Curiosity Killed 83 I think so they were like uh, just starting I think their, their only thing was they had a man who wore a hat back to front Ben something yeah better. well they did they did a couple of good songs Down to Earth and Hey, what's your number? Telephone number, I think. They were all right. Yeah. Um, I saw them. They, they played uh, London School of Economics with uh, a band who really wanted to be Jesus and Mary Jane, uh, but weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they achieved their aim by eventually playing to nobody because everybody left the room to go to the bar. Oh, right. Okay. And I think it was probably their aim. <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, because the thing is, that, that around about 82 or seven, from the late 70s to 82, um, I just saw a lot because I live near the Marquee in London wow. you know wow. near Soho so, and I knew the bloke on the door so we used to get lifted up in wow just seen so many bands you know like I saw the Alarm when they were a mod band and really uh, and then when they became Alarm Alarm and and and, uh, and stuff like that um, you know all these I, I mean I, I remember going to see I went with my brother not, this was definitely not my choice uh, we saw Slade, who were headlining. He was a big Slade fan. Uh, Discharge were a support band. Wow. <laughs> and first band on, uh, band, band from Ireland, no one had ever heard of them. You two. <laughs> were they any good? <laughs> were you two any no. good? No. No, they weren't. I went to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we only remember Slade, really, to be honest. The Discharge weren't that good either, I must admit. Well, but you see, you know, it was the David. I mean, I remember I, that was at the Lyceum. I remember at the Lyceum seeing Specials, Madness, Selector, Dexes, uh, and another band. I can't remember was that. Um, all on one bill. Wow. You know, and one of my first gigs there: Stiff Little Fingers, Gang of Four, Mekons, Human League, the first Human League, and the Fall. Was that was that on the Fast Products tour or something or? Fast- oh, I don't know, something like that. I'm not sure, but uh, I mean, still, I haven't seen the fall. I can at least talk to Steve Titley. Yeah. I haven't seen him once. <laughs> I remember, what's it? Someone threw a whole pint in Mark Marky Smith's chest, and then tried to jump on stage to get him, and um, Lard kicked him in the face. <laughs> Normal thing does that happen in those days? Well, yeah. It, I mean, gigs were violent, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> no getting away from it, you know. No. I mean, one of my... the thing is, well, they were violent, but, um, you know, you jump about like a loop here. If you fell over, they would sort of at least move back and give you a chance to get up. If you didn't get up, you got kicked to death. But at least they gave you a bit of a chance, a sporting chance. Yeah. Uh, but you, you mentioned skinheads before, and it would just be like, you would go to a gig, the skinheads would turn up, and everybody's like, okay, is this going to kick off? <laughs> yeah. Well, they did at the, um, the last the last jam gig in Brighton. Um, there was, like, obviously, 
loads of skinheads hanging about because they knew mods were going there. Um, and they were hung about outside. They actually opened the doors to anyone who was outside to let them in. And all the skinheads came in and it was like moving through the crowd and all that sort of stuff. I remember seeing it from backstage thinking, I'm staying backstage. <laughs> a lot easier. Well, uh, yeah. so there's a bit of kicker. And the thing is, all the skinheads were out first and waited outside for the mods. So the uh, the crowd didn't disperse as quick as it should. No, because really where, where I was from, the skinheads kind of came out of the mod thing. They were kind of, kind of the same. Uh, but you can you can never you didn't have skinheads beating up mods, but you know straight people would want to have a go at skinheads. So it was a kind of weird dynamic that they got going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I remember going like after the after the Brighton gig, we all went back to the Jams Hotel, and there was still still skinheads about hanging about, and we just sat in the bar drinking. Yeah. Um, and it, like where was sat in one corner, Bruce was sat in another, and. Uh, Rick was saying another, they weren't sort of talking to each other really, and just sat there, got pissed. <laughs> and then I then, and then went back to our B and B, got back there about four o'clock in the morning. I'd be up at seven to get straight back to London, down and playing a football match. <laughs> when I got when I got back to London, it was cancelled. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> the world's biggest hangover. Oh my god. Ah uh, well, n- 1982, eh? <laughs> what what a year. So there you go. <laughs> So what do you what do you reckon? Good year, bad year, or formative year? Formative year, definitely a formative year. Uh, good year, personally for me, um, but music-wise, bit poor, rubbish, really. Especially with the jam going. Yeah. Okay. And you thought, well, Paul Weller's going to go on to do something amazing here. <laughs> In hindsight, if I'd had money, I'd have put a bit on it. But uh, no, I don't know really. To be honest, he played some of his stuff. He played some of the stuff when we was like doing the single. He played some of the stuff he was doing, and it, was, it sounded all right. It sounded a bit poppy, yeah. um, but it was all right. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it, it was difficult for people who, who were so in the jam to make the transition from the jam to the style council. And I think that's where he lost a lot of people. Yeah, but uh, you know, he's kept going. I know. I, I like a lot of his solo stuff. Singles of the Style Council I'll, I'll listen to, and um, you know I've I've kind of kept with his albums as he's got as he's gone through the years. I've not got his latest one yet though, so I don't. He's got, he's got a new one coming out this year. New yeah. one coming out in June, I think. His last album was a light, uh, did a live album called Aspects. It's very very good. But it's very like <laughs> he's sixty now, and it's um he's sixty odd I think sixty three, um, and it's uh it's a sixty three year old man's album. Yeah, but it's very very good. Uh, Orchestral and all that sort of stuff, live in it. Well, oh, oh. It's, yeah. it's, it's the sort of thing you put on at night, you know what I There you go, that's 1982 with AFC Baggy, all those stories about uh, supporting the jam, remembering watching the tube, 
Falklands War and uh, albums and things that uh, happened in the music biz. Uh, if you've got a particular year you'd like to uh, hear me reminisce about with somebody, um, why not drop us a line? Uh, these podcasts are available on Apple and Spotify and uh, all the big channels, Anchor as well. Uh, I'm Roland Gent, uh, the, the podcast is called Do You Remember? And we just pick a different year every time, so uh, do check us out on uh, all the available channels. 